Welcome, come on in. Oh, so um, it's a beautiful day today. Isn't this wonderful? Finally, you know, we're getting to some nice weather. You know, it's hard to complain about the winter that we had because it wasn't a hard winter, but it was like one cold, wet day for like three months, right? <laughs> yeah. And so now it's, boy, the, everything's blooming and flowering, trees, and it's so nice. Um, before we get started, let me just say that <clears throat> there is a, a funeral uh, memorial service next Friday that begins at 1030. So what we'll do is we'll just end at 1015. So we'll, we'll get started right on time next Friday and just go 45 minutes and then I'll break at 1015 because there are some of you that would like to go to that service. So um, <clears throat> just bear that in mind next Friday. Our last Friday for this season will be uh, May 19th. Um, so we're coming up upon that and then we'll break for the summer and then we'll figure out what's gonna happen for the fall and uh, I need to talk to Pastor Bruce. I can see what's happening and, and what, uh, what their plans are. But um, it's, it's a joy to be with you and, and we're working through the Beatitudes now, thinking about what a holy life is as Jesus teaches us. And we, uh, last Friday, we looked at the poor uh, in, in verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And uh, we talked about just exactly who the poor were and, and how there was this designation of a group that were known as the poor in the Old Testament, the Anawim. Um, and now we're gonna move on today and we're gonna look at verse four and, and kind of move along and we'll see, we'll see how far we get. Verse four of the Beatitudes. <clears throat> Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, if you, if you were a motivational speaker with new hearers, um, wouldn't that be an interesting thing to, to, to lead off? Blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn. Um, you know, you're trying to get, get people to follow. It's the first, first sermon of Jesus, right? And, um, and he's starting off with these. So, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, you know, this word is... Penthuntus, I'll just put it on up here for fun. Penthuntus. And it does mean just as it says, you know, it's, it's mourning, it's sorrow, it's uh, sadness. And this is, this word is in Greek directly contrasting to the word for feasting, aorta. So 
It's the complete opposite of feasting. Now, if you, if you want a great picture of the contrast, uh, the book of Job is, is a great picture of the contrast between these two, these two words. Because, as you, we, know the, we know what happens with, with Job, right? Job suffers greatly, he's mourning, he's languishing. You know, even his wife says to him, curse God and die, why don't you? You know, um, but what happens at the end of the book of Job? He gathers together with everyone, his friends and, and those who remain, and they have a feast. So there's something to this concept. All right, let's take a look at James 4, verse 9. That use, it uses this, this, this word. So, and let's get the, let's get the concept, the kind of the background here. So we'll look at verse seven, James four, verse seven. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, isn't that an interesting passage? and difficult, right? It's so contrary to the way we process life, isn't it? I mean, who wants to mourn? Who wants to languish? You know, who, who wants to be gloomy? Yeah, and who wants to be around somebody like that, right? Um, what is he, what is James trying to get us to think about? Because it's, it's really very similar to what Jesus is trying to get us to think about. You know, as I've said, James and Matthew are very parallel. And so, in terms of themes. So, what, what are they trying to get us to think about? I mean, they don't, it's not that they want us to walk around, you know, with our heads down and, you know, sad all the time. There's, there's something deeper going on. What is it? Yeah. Okay. I'm reading my notes. Okay, go right ahead. Okay. It says, actions described by the prophets as, as signifying and calling for repentance. Yes. So this, and this is exactly what's happening is he's trying to get us to think about what we value in life. And because the irony is, if we run after the things of the world, we will end up mourning, gloomy, sad, downcast, because the things of the world ultimately will disappoint. So it's, it's really getting to the, the life of faith and 
knowing where our salvation lies. And what makes this verse very striking is the word submit to God in, in, the, uh, in the Greek text in verse 7. Submit um, is past tense. It's an imperative. And, and it has this ongoing characteristic of submit to God. So what's happening is submit to God actually means, in Greek, this word actually means submit to God. Oh, and by the way, you've already been submitted. So it's, it's not really your action, but it's done to you, for you. Yes. Yeah, I had down Again, it's not my words, it's have what Jesus has given. So he's given forgiveness, life, and salvation, but you, I mean, I was just having a conversation. I want more than that. Yeah, Jesus, so what you said was Jesus has given it. Yeah, he's given it. We need to open our hearts. Yeah, and so through a life of repentance, we... It's given to us, and we and we rest in it. It's a gift of Christ. Yes, Donna. Uh, yeah, in verse six, it says uh, he gives grace to the humble. Verse ten says he gives grace to the humble. I think it's verse part of verse six. Oh, verse six. And then at the end of that, let's see, verse seventeen. Verse seventeen. Let's see. Some are oh, verse. Um, yeah. Verse 10. Verse 10. And he says, he gives grace to humble, and he says, humble yourselves before the Lord. So I think he's getting at repentance and humble. Yes, so humble yourselves before the Lord. He's getting to repentance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it is in this way that we truly become free. It is when we... Isn't this true? Like when you've, when you've been dealing with something very difficult and you really finally come to the solution or you've come to grips with the situation and you know there's this cognitive recognition and you say okay i'm this is how i'm going to deal with this often there's a peace that comes over over us um, repentance is one of these things where when we're not repentant we're denying what we've done or we're, we don't want to look at it. We're denying our struggles. But repentance is to look, look our struggles, our sins, our troubles right in the face and say, there's an answer to this. Jesus has the answer. And it does bring a, bring a calm to us. And all of this is at work in these, in these verses in James chapter 4. So the mourning, is, the mourning and the sorrow and the sadness is meant to lead us in repentance to our Savior who sets us free and truly makes us free. Um, now go to Revelation chapter 18. 18 verse 8. Okay. Revelation 18 verse 8 says... 
Well, again, we almost need to back up to verse maybe. It, you know, it's, well, let's read the verse first. So Revelation 18 verse 8 says, Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. But this is the, you know, within the realm of, you know, all this symbolism, the fall of Babylon, Babylon the Great. And Babylon the Great is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every foul spirit. But then let's take a look at uh, Revelation 21, verse 4. So this one is very comforting. This reads in Revelation 21, 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow. So the sorrow would be this, this morning. Nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then it says, Then he who sat on the throne, who is Jesus, says, Behold, I make all things new. So, what, what, are, what are some of the, the deeper aspects of the Christian mourning? Like, especially when, when it says this in Revelation 21, what, what causes the Christians to mourn? Their sins, Their sins I heard that. Death. Death. Injustice of the world, right? I mean, you can really just start to see it all, right? And you see this as time goes on, like as we have loved ones who, uh, who die, um, you know, when we see um, evil, uh, you know, as we look, watch the news, right? And there's great cause for a Christian to go, ugh, the world is crazy. Um, and, and it does shape the way we look at the world, right? As, as we listen to the scriptures, as we look at the face of Jesus, as we hear about his mercy, his forgiveness, his love, and we learn about all the wonderful things that come out of the cross and the resurrection, then it, it right, you, you muse upon the beautiful things and when you muse upon the beautiful things, then what happens when you go back and look at the ugliness of the world? It's even worse than you, than you thought, right? It's worse than it looked before. And so there's this, this movement as a Christian goes along his or her journey of life, and we start to see, wow, heaven looks better all the time, right? The world looks crazier all the time. And it does shape then the way we, the way the church postures herself in the world. Uh, we are, the church is the beacon of light, right? Through Christ, Christ is our light. Then the church illumines and shines because of Christ and witness, love, mercy. And so we, we're caught in this juxtaposition where 
um, like St. Paul says, it is better to be depart and be with Christ, right? Which is far better, but we remain because the world is dark. Um, the world is evil. There's a lot of evil in the world. And so the world needs all that Christ has and, and can give. And so we live with this tension. And so living with this tension can create what Revelation 21 verse 4 says, the mourning and the sadness and the, but, but that's not the end because those things will pass away. Behold, Jesus makes all things new. And so this gets to our, the, the, the kerygma or the proclamation of the church, which is when we say in, at Easter, Christ is risen, he's risen indeed, alleluia, that is powerful because it's that recognition that everything that we see going on in the world cannot ultimately, it will not ultimately last because Jesus is the victor. And of course, as you know, right, when we lay our loved ones to rest to await the resurrection, we know that there's a victory there and that the dead will rise in Christ, all will be gathered together. And so I think this is in, and so what's happening is, if you look at the contrast between mourning and feasting, look at what Jesus has provided for us in the divine service, his body and blood. It's the feast. And so every time we gather together around the altar and, and we eat and drink Christ's body and blood, we are getting the, a foretaste of the feast to come. So Jesus has, has something for us. So the foretaste of the feast to come is definitely the response to the mourning and the sorrow and the things that Christians sometimes experience. So don't, here's what I would say, don't, don't feel like there's something wrong with you if you look at the world and you, know, you, you experience a little bit of grief when you look. But what I'd say is don't stop there. And I think this is what a lot of Christians mistakenly do is they stop at the morning and they just simmer in, in the morning without end. We are supposed, it's supposed to lead us to the things that make for joy. Jesus, resurrection, absolution, whole, a holy life, you know, the, the love of Christ that never ends. Because here's the thing, and I, I, think I've, I think I've talked about this with you before, but I think it's always worth thinking about. In the early church, they would <clears throat> talk about vices as they would talk about um, virtues, holy virtues. They would talk about vices and what happens and so 
they would talk about there's this slide, this, this slide that happens with vices like this one is grief. So what often happens is a person is filled with grief and then if grief isn't dealt with, then bitterness springs. And then if that's not dealt with, then people lash out. They strike. So lupe is grief. Lupe, lupe unattended will lead to picra, which is bitterness. And bitterness, if not dealt with, will turn to degma, beating or striking. And what we often see is this, the, the beating, the striking. I mean, that's often what we see in the news. And this is why it's so difficult for a Christian because we're seeing the outward action or the outlying symptoms of a greater problem, that the world is full of grief. So what Christ is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's trying to get his hearers to repent and listen for the true joy that is the that which is the cure for grief and misery. Yes. In James, right before um, the verse we looked at in uh, chapter four, uh, verse five, it goes, "Or do you think Scripture says without reason that fear is possible in us and these attempts to talk about how you're can say you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God, and you know to be able to be intense feelings about it." But it then says, but he gives us more grace. And it's kind of like you're saying the solution to this intense bitterness and grieving um, and being at odds with the world. Because I always love that, but he gives us more grace. It's like no matter what we face, he always has more to give us. It's not like we can find it within ourselves necessarily to rise up and find that solution. It's like he is the font for us to go and get that grace. Yeah, Jesus is the font to give us more grace. What verse was that? That was um, verse 4, 6, James. James 4, 4? Um, yeah, and then verse 6 is when he gives us more grace. Yeah. I'm curious what the translation is for that verse. Because I've always interpreted that as like, no matter what the world gives us, that he gives us, he can give us more to combat it. Yeah, so the, the Greek word is, it, it would mean like more, but also like greater like it's this beyond. beyond, yeah, like it starts to bubble over. Yeah, it's greater, it's bigger, it's, yeah, yeah. And, and that is so important to remember. And it's, it's great to think about this, that it's in James. Because, you know, probably you've already studied or learned it in, in time that, you know, James... Luther early on struggled with whether or not James should be in the canon because uh, he said, oh, there's a lot of work la works language in there, you know. Um, but then later on he said, no, this is definitely a great book and should definitely be in the canon and very edifying. And um, 
so it's, it's interesting because what people sometimes think with James, there's actually a lot of this. It comes out, you just have to pay attention to what he's saying. Um, yeah, because even it's like you can drown your Mm -hmm. That is right. It's still God. He is the one. He is the driver. So, and you can just jot these down. Um, there are examples of, of sorrow in the Old Testament. Uh, 1 Samuel 1.15 and 1 Samuel 1.15 and that is the, you know, the, the well-known account of uh, Hannah and um, her sorrow uh, with not having a child and, um, and then having Samuel. And, you know, part of the beauty of that is if you look at, if you look at 1 Samuel 1, 15, well, it says in verse 12, and it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. And then he says, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition. And then the Lord does grant her petition and she has <clears throat> Samuel. And chapter two, then, is the Hannah's prayer. And Hannah's prayer talks about how her heart rejoices. And so, you know, these kinds of examples are important in the scriptures because they're the reminder that we're not left to these things. Our Lord answers them and grants our petitions and cares for us. So, you know, the Easter sunrise, the Easter morning, you know, with the Easter lilies and the joys of morning peace. I mean, this picture is the answer to uh, the church's mourning and sorrow. And then there's a couple other examples that you can jot down. Nehemiah 2, verse 2. Job 3, 10. And 17, 7. And 21, 17. And then also Isaiah um, Isaiah 35, 10, and 51, 11, and then 53, 3. And then look at this as well. So this is an important component to 
how God deals with with the church's mourning. So it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So this word in Greek for comfort is parakletos. And this is the word that we get for the Holy Paraclete. So the Holy Spirit sometimes is referred to as the Holy Paraclete, the Holy Comforter. So the Lord responds to the church's mourning and sorrow by sending the Holy Spirit. Think about the book of Acts. And there are all those people gathered round. And there's a, right, there's a lot of uncertainty. Jesus had been with, with the disciples. Now he's gone. He ascends into heaven. Now what? I mean, you could just imagine. One of the things that I often think about, when I was in my first parish in Iowa, there was a, a painting in our, in our coffee room. And I don't, I don't know where or who did it, but it was just kind of like this framed painting of Jesus sitting around a campfire teaching the disciples. And, and that got me thinking about just like the time that the disciples would have spent with Christ for those years. And the amount of time and the quality and the conversations that they had had. And, and I started thinking about, you know, if you were with Jesus and you watched him healing people and doing all these things, you'd start to feel pretty secure if you were just with Jesus, right? And, you know, the conversations are the best. Um, and so I, I thought to myself, can you imagine what it would have felt like for those disciples when they saw him crucified and then dead and buried? And then that helps me think about what the Emmaus disciples were experiencing as they were walking on the road um, that morning and why they were sad because you know it would be that moment of reflection where you're like well this is never going to be the same again you know i just you know we just had three years life was great and now it's never going to be the same again and my life is never going to be the same again right i mean you can just imagine like the earthly aspect of what these disciples must have been feeling. And so you get to the book of Acts and they know they're supposed to continue on. Jesus had appeared to them in the, in the locked room. Peace be with you. I'm sending you out, right? All that stuff. But then he ascends into heaven and then you're like, huh. This is exactly what I feared. <laughs> now what? Now we got to go, you know, do we have to go it alone now? Now it's going to be different. Uh, you can imagine all that they had been experiencing and thinking about. And so what happens? Pentecost. 
And with Pentecost is the giving of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings truth. The Holy Spirit also comforts. The uh, apostle, the evangelist, St. John, loved to talk about this. So go to John chapter 14 to the last earthly sermon of Jesus. And let's just take a look at this. So in John chapter 14, look at the first verse. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He tells them he's going to go to prepare a place for them. So he's telling them what's going to happen. And then it goes on. You have Thomas. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then look at verse 15. So John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments... And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Helper is that same word, paracletus. So just as, just as it says in Matthew 5 verse 4, they shall be comforted. This is the same word that's used for helper. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I will send you a helper. Comforter, helper. So this comfort is outside of you. So if you are, if you... As you process the world and as you process life, if you do feel some sorrow in your heart, Jesus doesn't leave you abandoned in this. So the divine service that has the scriptures, that has the Eucharist, we have the the baptismal font, These things, word and sacraments, are what the Lord has provided to help us. And the Holy Spirit comes to us and blesses us and strengthens us. So, you know, if you think about just the way the Christian life lives, the way we live out our faith, we're living in the world, but we're not of the world We look around, we see what's happening with the eyes of faith and wisdom from the Lord. The troubles of life may catch us at times, but then we turn to Jesus through the scriptures. We come into the divine service, we gather around, and Christ has all the gifts there to aid us and to turn our hearts, to comfort us, to strengthen us, to give us peace, to help us to see what's really going on. So you have that in verse 16. Then again, 
Look at verses, uh, let's see, verse 26. So verse 26 reads, but the helper, so it's the same word, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Bring to your remem remembrance. So it's definitely engaged with the scriptures. You know, the scriptures keep ruminating. We keep hearing them over and over. We remember them in our minds and in our hearts. And the Lord through the scriptures keeps reminding us as he comforts us. Then, he, but Jesus isn't done because in chapter 15, verse 26, he says something again, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So he's connecting a few things in this case by the fact that he mentions you have been with me from the beginning. That's one of the apostolic qualifications to be an apostle. And then, well, so, you know, he's, he's connecting the Holy Spirit and comfort then with the scriptures. So the scriptures convey the kerygma, the proclamation, the information that Jesus has done all these things. But then the scriptures also carry with it the work of the Holy Spirit, which brings comfort. So something outside of you, the third person of the Trinity, comes and lands upon you and resides with you and works on your soul. So the Lord knows intimately well what you deal with. Uh, he knows your struggles. He knows what you feel. And he is at work to change you. And that's what's, it's, a, it's interesting as a Christian, isn't it? Because it's different when you're young in the faith and you're just like, oh, Jesus, gospel, mercy, forgiveness, resurrection, right? But then divine wisdom starts to come and impart to you knowledge and understanding. And that's, that can be a hard thing because then you start to see life as it really is. You see things for what they really are. And so that's why the Holy Spirit becomes so important. These words that Christ gives to us, both in the Beatitudes, but also in his sermon in John, these are so important for us so that we recognize 
that while we grow wise and we see the world and sin for what it really is, we also then see God's grace for what it really is. We see what his victory really means and it prepares us in a different way. And we, we draw ever closer to heaven. And that's why, you know, I remember one time in one of my churches, not here but in a previous congregation, uh, there was an elderly person who was getting close to death and then the young kids, the younger kids, and uh, the kids came to me all distraught. Dad says he's ready to die. That's terrible. <laughs> and I said, no, it's not. It's actually great. That is faith speaking, right? That is the knowledge and the understanding of the, the ultimate victory of Jesus. And, you know, of course, in that case, those kids were not churchgoers. So they looked at the world as the world is my playground and I just want to sit and enjoy life and I don't want to die. I don't want to leave. I want to just keep in. This is like Disneyland for me. I just want more Disneyland. And, and dad's like losing his grip. He doesn't want Disneyland anymore. What's happening here? You know, and, and I had to say to him, heaven is is eternal eternal joys, eternal happiness, eternal peace, all these things that we can just get the very beginning to grasp, you know, the beginning grasp of it. And that's part of this. We recognize, we recognize things as they are. Jesus, through his gifts, the Holy Spirit that comes, comforts us and prepares us. And then the, the, the wonderful thing about this though is the, this wisdom and this divine comfort that the Lord gives in the midst of sorrow and mourning actually will help us then to better serve our neighbor because we will see the needs of our neighbors differently through this. And we can actually really help our neighbors then. So then um, he also says something in, in John 16, verse 7. I have a question. Yes, go ahead. In John 14, where it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. I struggle with that sometimes because I feel like um, if I let it, if my heart is troubled, that I'm not trusting enough. You know, it's just this idea. If you trust in God, you shouldn't feel troubled, right? Right. And so I sometimes have a hard time with the idea of like, oh, if I'm feeling this way, am I not, do I not have enough faith? Right. So it's like, I kind of struggle with that. Yeah. It's a sign that my faith is not strong enough that I feel in trouble at this time. Right. So the fact, what she said was, you know, do, do not let your hearts be troubled. And sometimes if we feel troubled, then we feel like our faith is not strong enough and there's some, you know, weakness within us and, and you know, we're not matching up uh, to this. And it's, he's saying, do not let your hearts be troubled because he knows that our hearts will be troubled and that this is just part of the dynamic of being in the flesh, having 
right? We have our sinful flesh that does worry. You know, we do struggle, but it's it's recognizing that that the power of Christ then become you know does its work, and it's not. It's kind of like what the what what the father says in Mark's gospel when Jesus comes to heal his child, and Jesus says anything's possible if you believe, and he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So there's this. You know, faith is this, and you know, Athanasius talks about um, the, the 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 soul of a person by virtue of the fact that we live in the world and we're caught between the things of the world and the things of God, the, the soul, this is, what, this is what Athanasius says, the soul is never in a static position where it's not moving. He says that the very dynamics of life in this earth, on this earth, create the situation where the soul is always moving. And the soul will move to the things of the flesh and to the things of God. It goes back and forth. And so Athanasius says this is why it's so important uh, to be, to have the holy things and to, and to have, to, you know, to go to word and sacrament, to, um, to receive the gifts of Christ because then it moves the soul back. And so there's just this constant struggle so it's just that recognition that this is ever since the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden, we all have this. And this is precisely why Christ came. This is precisely why he has given us the word and the sacraments. And we, we gather together in the church. And, and, and we're not alone. We're not isolated, but we are in community because we do need all these things that Jesus brings and um, he's ever teaching us. Yes? Uh, there was someone saying that you don't have to think every thought that comes into your head. Okay, you don't have to think every thought that comes into your head. I like that. Come and you start ruminating about it and you, like you entertain the thoughts, like you invite them in, you have coffee together and you start... <laughs> it's happens. Really entertaining trouble. Yes, we do do that. We entertain our 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 bad thoughts, and we entertain trouble. And if you're a fixer, anybody here a fixer? But it, yeah, is that wrong to be a fixer? All you know, and but this, it's a terror. It's. And it can take us down these, these terribly dark rabbit holes and, you know, not good. You know, it's, it's that in and of itself, like how to work on that really takes some pastoral care or some, you know, we really, it really takes some time to think um, and work through that, that struggle, which I think many of us have. There are a few that don't have that there are there are some people that their spiritual gift is they don't worry about things they're just like yeah you know i don't know if you had a, an old grandma like that that was like oh it'll be all right lord will work it out i'm not worried 
You know, and everybody else is going, you should be worried. I'm worried. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is the truth that because we rest in the Lord's hands, he's the Lord of heaven and earth. And nothing is apart from his power. And he fights for us. He loves us. He is going to take care of us. He is going to take care of you. The thing, it's the devil's trick to get us to worry that the Lord will not see us through. It is the devil's trick. And so it's, it's so critical to just keep looking at the face of Jesus. Yes, Donna. I'm glad you mentioned John 14, 14 through 17. Uh-huh. They are special treasures. Yeah, John 14 through 17 are special treasures. And, and he says that uh, I will be in you, dwell in you, and you will be. Yeah. Beginning of 14. Yeah. And he tries over and over to reassure the disciples and to reassure us of his great power and what he will do. Yes, he's gonna show us his great power and what he will do. Maybe we should read those. Yeah, those, exactly. John 14 to 17 is something we should read often. Um, yeah, because here's the thing. In Christ, you are free. You are free. And you are sojourners on this earth and the Lord is going to take care of you all throughout as he has. Like, I think it's so important to look back and see how the Lord has taken care of you. Like when you're worried and you're like, I'm never going to get through this situation. Take a look back and think about the, all the things that you've been through that the Lord did see you through. Um, and then also recognize that we are pilgrims on this earth as his people. And we are journeying through this life with the holy things that he has given us. And we are witnesses. And he is, he is going to look out for you through all of it. And you have a beautiful inheritance in heaven. And there is great joy in that. First um, John 2 verse 1 then also. And then here it is. So First John 2 verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And again... In the Greek, yep, we have the paraclete. So the Holy Spirit is always attending to us through the gifts of Christ. And then um, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 5, that's important to look at in this regard because of the way Paul frames it. So the church, so if you go to 2 Corinthians 1, 
verses 3 to 5. It's, it reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Wow. So here's what's beautiful about this. One of the things, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. So the Father of mercies, mercy there is oikteromon, and the root word is house. So this kind of mercy that the Father brings takes its home with you. So truly, the Father comes and dwells with you. Oikotiramon is the Greek word. Then the God of all comfort, the word comfort is the paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is doing in these opening verses of 2 Corinthians 1 is in verse 3, he mentions the Father, he mentions Jesus, but then he gives an attribute of the Father. He then also mentions the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity is alive in the language that, that Paul is giving us. And this is your life. You are not an orphan. You weren't like cast out into this world and said, okay, you know, you're forgiven, now go on, scurry on, you know, do your best. You no, know, the Lord in all of his love and his attributes and in his presence dwells with you. So you are not alone, you are never alone. And I think that's, that's comforting, right? It's important to remember. And so all of that is sort of weaving in and out of that simple beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So, all right, let's, let's close with uh, the collect and the benediction. Break and enjoy this beautiful day. Let us pray. Almighty God, merciful Father, since you have wakened from death the shepherd of your sheep, grant us your Holy Spirit that we may know the voice of our shepherd and follow him, that sin and death may never pluck us out of your hand. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace.